Last week we're going to, now that we have established some of the basics in Leviticus, we're going to take more of a survey approach instead of bogging down in uh, things that creep on the earth and things that have six legs versus four legs versus wings and clean and unclean. Not that they're not important, and that's something I want to, I want to uh, emphasize. But we'll have more to say about that in just a minute. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our studies. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word this morning. And we know it came from you. It has purpose. It has meaning. Not only for those in the desert, those Israelites, but for us as well. And we pray, Father, that you will guide us as we study these things. That we not turn away from them because they're complex and difficult to understand sometimes. And help us to understand that we might pull treasures from both the old and the new. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, speaking of that, the Bible is a very interesting book. It's actually two books, isn't it? You got your New Testament, you got your Old Testament that we would call, by the way, the word is covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. Uh, but we use the word testament, same thing. Uh, uh, and uh, about 400 years, a little over perhaps, separate the two. 400 years of silence, if you will. No, uh, no written revelation from, from God. And then all of a sudden, that changes with the arrival of Jesus Christ. Wow. 400 years of silence. You can call it silence. There was activities then, but not any revelation between Malachi and Matthew. And so uh, 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 all of these things that are in the old book, if you don't understand the new book, interestingly enough, it's going to be harder to understand the old. And so the new book, under the premise that I operate under, the New Testament uh, has the, uh, 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 what shall you say? It's the preeminent book. In other words, it comes first, understanding it, and then I go back to understand the old. Can you imagine the Old Testament saints trying to articulate the new? My goodness. And yet, according to the New Testament, many of the things that we're reading about in Leviticus pointed to and figured the person of Christ that was to come. You will find that there is no final cleansing in Leviticus. None. There is, a, there is an offering and there are ways of purifying oneself, but none of them are permanent and there is no total cleaning. But we have come into 
total cleansing. Wow. It has been imputed to us. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our credit. My, my. We are seen by God as having a white robe of righteousness. You know better than that in the sense of the fleshly body. It still sins. But your Savior died for those sins. Your obligation is to confess them, is to be aware of your sins, confess them, and seek forgiveness for them. As long as we're in the flesh, according to the book of Romans, we will have this problem. Which, by the way, we're going to go to Romans next. <laughs> Lord willing. Uh, we'll be going to that next. We're going to move rather rapidly through Leviticus in our survey approach to it for that very reason. But I don't want to skip over the beauty of Leviticus. Uh, 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 my Jewish friends on Quora spend a lot of time here. And they keep citing the book of Leviticus along with, of course, uh, Mike and I are talking about uh, my atheist friends who want to bring a charge against those of us who are believers that don't adhere to the Levitical laws. Okay. <laughs> and we don't uh, at all. We are not Jewish. We are new covenant people. And so uh, those are things that we don't want to miss in the book of Leviticus, but we don't want to um, obsess about these things. Can you imagine the Israelite listening to the priests as they teach these things about uh, uh, what is clean and unclean? That was the priest's obligation. It's kind of like a pastor today. They had the obligation to teach. They represented the people and they taught the people. And they told them all these details about what is clean, what is unclean. And then they had instructions as to how to make an offering that would provide for the flesh, the book of Hebrews says, and temporary cleanliness, holiness. What is the book of Leviticus about? As I have uh, uh, called it, the gospel according to Leviticus. And I believe that, that there's some truth to that. If you, if you keep your mind open, perhaps you're not connecting with mine. Few people do. But <laughs> I'm a, a little confused. But uh, uh, in this book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was wrong with these things as far as the Israelites go? I'm going to open it up to questions. What was wrong with the law and all the details of the cleanliness and stuff? What was wrong with that for the Israelite people? Anybody want to venture that? Boy, that's a heavy question. Boom! Rose, she knows what she's talking about. 
The fact of it is, they, must, they probably didn't know, and they weren't picking up about some sort of promise that came with by listening to the prophets and adding to it, the, uh, uh, adding to Leviticus all of the uh, revelation there with the um, uh, prophets about something coming. But what was wrong with it? Why well, we learn later in the Bible that they did not keep the law. And God established a new covenant according to Jeremiah. They didn't keep the law. Why? They couldn't. Why? I'm, I'm pressing her. She probably has a good answer. All right, I'll, I'll finish it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And the law is going to collapse. Am I right? The law condemns. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Go there now. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been here before. But I want to uh, I'm, I'm keep keep that focus that the Apostle Paul gives us. Chapter 3, verse 5, let's begin there. Not that we, that is Paul and his associates, are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. There it is. Not of the letter, the Old Testament law, but of the spirit. For the letter does what? Kills. As the Apostle Paul puts it, then the law came and I died. It killed him. The knowledge of the law is designed to do exactly that. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The difference between the old and the new is that it was insufficient, as Hebrews says repeatedly. It was insufficient because it lacked the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. That is to say, it, did, it wasn't included in the law. It was the letter of the law, but it was deadly. But it, look at verse 7. But if the ministry of death, <laughs> written and engraved on stones, just so that you'll know which covenant he's talking about, the Ten Commandments, which was the covenant, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was, what is it? Passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, now it's the ministry of death 
the ministry of condemnation, and he's speaking of the law covenant, had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. You remember our teaching on that when we went through this book. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. You are in the era of the Holy Spirit of God. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he sealed you with his Holy Spirit and indwells you. I spent my last two years at seminary writing a, uh, uh, what do they call that? Shelby, what's that final thing you do? Thesis. Uh, writing a thesis. What in the world? A hundred thousand words they wanted. <laughs> and so, okay, uh, whatever. It took me two years to do that. The title of it was Pneumatology in the Old Testament. Was the Spirit in the Old Testament? You darn well better believe it. Was he in the, in the Old Testament in the ways in the New Testament? Absolutely not. In the New Testament, you happen to be the recipient of the Spirit of God who dwells in you to lead you into all righteousness. Hallelujah. Were it not for that, I would be at the same place I was before I came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he changed my soul and he put the Holy Spirit indwells me. I must say that I probably grieve the Holy Spirit more than I should by my life. But I have the Holy Spirit to guide me just as you do if you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior today. You have the Spirit. You have the ability to understand what the Israelite could not understand in those days. It did, however, point by way of shadow, uh, uh, figures, and the types, and the like. It pointed to Jesus Christ. Leviticus is about Jesus and about holiness, Holiness of life. And I am one of those that believes that the holiness of life is not well represented in most churches. It's not a focus that it should be. The reason is you have the Holy Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is, is indwelling you. And you can keep you, you, can, you can go without sinning if you depend entirely on the Holy Spirit of God. You're not going to be perfect at it. As God had a purpose, I still don't understand it, after praying about this for many years. Why did you keep, allow the remnant of our old nature to coexist with the new? Well, the answer is obvious. 
you have to depend on my Holy Spirit. And so that's what our life is about as a Christian is to, is to somehow surrender, surrender our daily uh, life and everything to the Holy Spirit of God that we might keep those things and honor his same glory. Jesus Christ lived an entire life without sin. We can't do that as long as we're flesh. But I tell you what, we can do a lot better than we're doing. Because, uh, 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 as I said earlier, I probably grieve the Spirit more than I want to by not disciplining my thinking, for instance. It's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you about clean and unclean and everything like that. If I may share something personal. Uh, um, I, I have conquered in some ways outward sin. Does anybody understand? Am I being obnoxious by saying that? I hope not. But on those terrible things like adultery and murder and angry at your brother without a cause and all that kind of stuff. I'm past that. And yet, my brain goes crazy. And I'll be in the midst of prayer and I'll hear a voice in my head saying, are you sure? No, I, I probably have revealed too much. My apologies if I'm making a fool of myself. But I'm telling you, I wrestle with, with uh, uh, God's holiness every single day. I want to be holy like my Lord was holy. And yet I find that even when I conquer sin somehow in the flesh, my mind continues to sin. I can't escape it, it seems. I believe that the Lord has a purpose in that. And that I am to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit of God from, from the day I made a profession of the Lord Jesus Christ until the very day that I die and enter into his very presence. I think that's the whole thing about Leviticus. What is Leviticus about? It's about the glory and the perfection and the holiness of our God. It's about God's holiness. Yes, it does seem at times to be tedious, strange even at points, talking about things that slither on the ground and that crawl and swarm on the ground and things like that. But it's about God's holiness. Do you feel holy today? I'm not there. But I know that God's spirit is present in my soul. And that he'll help me. And he does help me. And when I have those moments when Satan comes into my brain and starts to talk. He's fighting with a fight he can't win. I have the spirit of Christ. 
and the Spirit of God in here. And as such, I am to Satan untouchable. But that doesn't mean he won't try. <laughs> he was still trying when, he, when Jesus went to the cross. He was still trying to bring reproach upon Christ. He'll do the same with us, I suspect. Can we meet God's standard of, of, of holiness? The answer is hanging in the air. There is a way in which I could say, no, probably not, because of the remaining depravity of my soul. But there is a place where I can say, yes, because the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. What shall we do? Seek and strive for the holiness of God. You know, we get into these laws about animals, clean and unclean, and now we're going to be talking in chapter 12 about uh, uh, human uh, uncleanness and such. A woman who conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Uh, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Sounds strange, doesn't it? On a little bit, uh, and he makes a distinction between a male child and a female child. Whoa. I'm sorry, ladies, but you just come in second every time. I mean, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. You're not coming in second. Uh, I had somebody say, uh, uh, on Quora about the Apostle Paul hating women. What? He worked with a whole bunch of women. They were part of his, quote, ministry team. Paul had no such ridiculous ideas. Only the atheistic mind can see that kind of stuff, that he was some sort of misogynist or something. I despise that kind of thing. Read your Bible, I tell them. Haven't you read? They make all kinds of ridiculous claims. But holiness is, a, uh, is what we're striving for, both in the Old Testament and in the New. In the Old Testament, he is, God is demonstrating to the children of Israel uh, the difference between clean and unclean according to his Word. And it was necessary that they do so. Now answer this question. Did anyone ever keep the law? No. Not one. What does that do to the old covenant? Go back to Hebrews. Chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8. Let's start at verse 1. It, it, it's just, it's a short, the part that I'm going to read is fairly short. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. 
we have such a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man, that thing in the desert, gone. Despite what movies are looking for the Ark of the Covenant, it's gone, <laughs> passed away. Uh, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, Jesus, also have something to offer. He's going to keep the law in that sense. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. He was not of the Aaronic line. Who served the copy and shadow, there it is, of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. He said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. There's a reason for every single thing that God instructed Moses to do in building that tabernacle. But now, but now, we come to the New Testament. He, that is Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also, uh, he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He's talking about Jeremiah, uh, uh, citing Jeremiah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they had not, they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. And they all died in the desert, didn't they? It is indeed true. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, which they had been commanded to do, by the way. Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. How? By the Holy Spirit of God. That's how. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Whew. Thank you, Lord. That's my safety. And then he says, in that he says, quote, a new covenant, he has made the first the one written in stone, obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He just used the words vanish away twice in the previous text. This is what the book of Leviticus is about. This is what the book of Hebrews is about. That's the connection between the two. But yeah, I can connect Romans with this one. Galatians with this one. 
Colossians with this one? You name it, I'm pretty much going to tie it in to Leviticus and the, and the Pentateuch, to Deuteronomy, to Numbers even. It's all about Jesus Christ. We need not bog down in the details. It is interesting, the details, to see the explicit character of all of these things down to the last uh, descriptive element. And yet the, the thing of it he's trying to show is his holiness and that you should be holy as I am holy. That's what he's saying to the Israelites in the desert and that's what he's saying to you as a Christian believer, be holy as I am holy. Now, Lord, I would say, if I were just a human being, how in the world is that possible? I can't do that. But alas, I have his Holy Spirit. Is there anything the Holy Spirit can't do? I can do it, Lord. But you're going to have to help me. And that's what this book is about, Leviticus. I'm taking this time because I think Leviticus is a hard book to understand. <laughs> it really is. If we were to take it verse by verse as we did in seminary, I told you about in seminary, it was a two-semester course, and I, I uh, struggled with it uh, in seminary, and I still probably do uh, as I go through it, and I see all of the details of the things that God outlines until I turn over and I read Romans. And then I go to Hebrews. And suddenly Leviticus lights up. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about pure and perfect holiness. And the law was inadequate for those who had the law. They couldn't keep it. But then came Christ. And then he sealed us with the Holy Spirit when we believed. And now we are empowered to obey the Lord and to seek that righteousness which is from God. I think that's about all I wanted to stay, say today. Have you seen God's glory? Can I share a story with you? It's an anecdote. I'm on, back in the day, back in the 90s, I had my own consulting practice. It was called Integrated Training and Development Interventions. I was providing... Uh, uh, working seminars for court personnel around the state of Illinois. I was on my way to Chicago. And uh, you'll forgive me, I'm driving up near Joliet, north of Joliet, approaching where I was headed. I was going to Arlington Heights. Anybody been to Arlington Heights? And so I was going to the Hilton there. 
And so I'm praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, could you show me just a hint of your glory? Just a hint, I said. I did not drive with my eyes closed. I had my eyes open. But I often pray in my heart and mind and sometimes out loud. And I'm praying to the Lord and asking him if he would give me a glimpse of his glory. I got to Arlington Heights. It was a cold, wintry day sometime in early January. Not a pleasant place to be in early January, the northwest winds blowing across the parking lot and everything. And I, I'm putting on seminars there the next three days. And I arrived the night before, or the evening before. I get to the desk, and they have messed up my reservations. I had no reservation, I had no room. And they say, we just don't have any other rooms. And I said, oh, come plow, please. I'm putting on seminars in your facility for the next three days. I said, surely you can come up with something. And she goes back and she talks with somebody in the office and she comes back and said, we're gonna have to put you up in the penthouse governor's suite. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what they said. Well, I thought it was just a fancy room or something that they had up there. But it was up on top of the building. It was a penthouse, really a penthouse. And the governor truly did stay there. It was Thompson at the time, Governor Thompson, if you remember. And, but he wasn't there at this point. And they sent me up there. I had to go up one uh, elevator to 20-some floors and then over and another elevator to go up two floors to get to this room. And I opened the door as I walked there. And lo and behold, this is not your average room. (laughs) I'm standing, as I come in the door, I'm standing on a platform that appears to be six or eight feet above the floor level. And there's stairs that go down this way and down this way, or a ramp, actually, that went down this way and this way. The room was about 20 feet high, the ceilings were. And the south had windows completely glass. That is, well, you know, panels. And they were up there 14 or 15 feet. And I want you to know, I came in there and I saw those drapes and stuff and I said, well, I'd sure like to see out there. And I looked for strings, you know, to pull them. Well, no strings. Push a button. <laughs> Zip. They open up. And out to the left, I'm facing south in Arlington Heights. I can see downtown Chicago. I can see all the way south to almost Indiana. I see all the southwest suburbs. I see all the western ones until it turns dark out in the country, you know, uh, 20 miles outside of the city limits. I see the airport, and I see lines of traffic 
hundreds of thousands of cars, it seems to me, is the most glorious thing I'd seen in a long time. I had never seen a sight like that. And to think that it was available in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And it had this glorious view. And if you know me, I quietly wept Because God was given me a glimpse of his glory. Just a glimpse. But something I had never seen before. And it was glorious in its presentation. Just unbelievable. I do want you to know to finish my story. I spent the, I spent the night there afraid to sleep in the beds because there was at least four or five rooms for his guards, uh, for his uh, domestic staff, cooks and the like. And there was a complete uh, ultra kitchen in there, you know. <laughs> I, I couldn't deal with this. I, <laughs> I just had a hard time dealing with it. And the next moment, but I did. I slept on the couch in front of those windows. I did. And the next morning, I went down and begged for a regular room. <laughs> I said, I can't stand this. <laughs> but for a moment, not the glory of the Shekinah glory of the temple or anything, but it was a glimpse of his glory. How little man looked at that moment. Amen? It just... And yet, I was in a personal, close relationship with Jesus Christ. Me, Vic Edwards, and as I like to say in a moment of desperation, I'm from Loami. <laughs> Here I am looking at the glories of something and God's greatness and I'm this simple human being I'm thankful to God for his glory and if you're careful you'll see that same kind of glory in a lot of things don't you anybody going to watch the meteor showers they're coming big time something like 120 per hour mm, that should be fun uh uh, why don't, uh, are any of them big enough to destroy this planet? No, these are all little bitty things and uh, drifting by and everything, but they're from the hand of the Lord. There's nothing in the universe that he doesn't manage. And even though all of the people in, the, in suburban Chicago and in Chicago area think that they control everything about their lives and everything, it is God. And I'm trying to convince them of that still today. I have taken you away from the text, so to speak. But I will <laughs> return next week and we'll take chapters 12, 13, and 14. All in a, uh, a single class period 
and such like that. We'll highlight the, um, uh, the lessons that we have there. I had some other materials that I wanted to share with you today. I have a good friend in upstate New York, Reed Ferguson. Uh, and he is a retired pastor up there. And he's busier in retirement than I think he was when he was pastoring. <laughs> uh, because he's such a gifted preacher of the word. And he writes as well. And uh, posts them on my Facebook page and many other people's Facebook page. Some wonderful stuff that he has that I would like to share just some highlights of uh, one of the messages about Jesus Christ. Let's pray and dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, we, we sometimes don't pause to look out away from our circumstances in the world and to see you at work, to see your glory, to see the sun come up in the morning, to see the sun go down in the evening to see the hawks fly, to see all of these things that you manage of your own accord. Help us to pause, look, and glorify you for your holiness, for your perfections, for your wonderful grace and mercy that we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us together then on this day of celebration. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.